It has been wonderful to be able to be with you all this week, and I've appreciated the opportunity to just get to know you a little better and, and uh, spend some time here, and I thank you for all the uh, hospitality that was expressed uh, both Deborah and I for the time she was able to be with us and for the time that I was able to share with you and especially to the Mitchell family what a wonderful experience it was for me to be able to share your home and and thank you for all of your hospitality and and it was kind of neat to be able they knew people that I knew from different circles in some ways and so it was kind of neat to kind of reminisce about some of that this week with them and uh, and to reacquaint myself with some folks here that I've known for longer than I care to remember and maybe longer than you care to remember but uh, but it's just been a great week I've appreciated so much uh, again this opportunity to be with you I'm going to apologize to you and I and 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 that sounds like a strange thing to do right off the bat but uh but I today when I sat down and I was looking at at, at what the series had in mind for tonight and what I had in mind for tonight were two different things and so I switched subjects the same just a different approach and so if you if I a couple people ask me for the outlines I gave them to you just leave them away because you'll you'll just be lost if you try to use them tonight because it's not the same lesson same topic just different lesson I want to I want to talk to you tonight. We've been talking out of for those who are here for the first uh, this week. Uh, we we began in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 31, and we talked about the fact that there was divisiveness and challenges and difficulties in Corinth. And as Paul addressed those various challenges and difficulties, he ultimately says to them in that me- moment that there's a more excellent way. There's a better way than you've been doing it. There's a far better way than the strife and challenges and perplexities that you've been creating for each other. And he then begins to define that in chapter 13 as love is the better way. Uh, Love is the answer to all that division and challenge and strife and difficulties that they had been experiencing. And then he says, God gets to define what love is. And he goes through that series of thoughts and shares with us various things love is and isn't. And we've been kind of dealing with those things throughout the week. We've tried to apply those to various circumstances. We've looked at them as it relates to husbands and wives and children to parent and parent to child as brothers and sisters in Christ. Last night we even spent some time on friendships and how those things are affected by love. And so we've been going through that exercise throughout this series. And tonight we said we were going to talk about the three abiding things of verse 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so how do you address this subject of faith and hope in particular? We've been dealing with love all week. We've been addressing those topics all week in our series. And so I wanted to focus on this idea that faith and hope are companions to love. Faith and hope are those things that kind of work in in assistance to, if you will, or in harmony with the love that is defined there in chapter 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians. And so let's talk about this subject of faith tonight, but I want to come at it in a slightly different angle. In John chapter 20 and beginning in verse 30, if you want to open your Bibles to that text with me, I'm going to start there in our study this evening because I want to establish a principle that's going to be important in our conversation this evening. It's pretty obvious this isn't part of the series because none of the slides looked like that this week, did they? John chapter 20, beginning in verse 30. He said, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. 
there are lots of things that Jesus did while he encountered those that were his contemporaries. There were many signs and wonders and various accomplishments that could have easily have been noted and written within the annals of the history of Jesus. And you could look at the gospel accounts and there is so much more that could have been said about the time that Jesus spent with those that were his contemporaries. And yet John says these are written for a purpose. These miracles and signs and wonders that Jesus was able to accomplish are written that ye might believe that he is the Son of God. I ask you tonight, do you believe that? Do you believe that the Jesus of the Bible is the Son of God? Do you believe that the testimony within this book, this, this new covenant, this new testament, this, this description of what God has brought forth through his Son is accurate and worthy of my acceptance. If you believe to that degree, can I challenge us tonight to ask whether or not we have any faith in it then? Not just do I believe that Jesus was a real person in a real time period, that we could look at him and examine him from a historical perspective, but do I believe that he is legitimately the Son of God, and with that faith and belief in him, it compels me to do something about it? Do I trust him? as the only begotten of the Father? Do I have the kind of confidence that would allow for me to appreciate who he is and what he can do for me in my life? I want you to go over into Matthew chapter 14 and I want to look with you for a little while tonight. And the example of Peter here in Matthew chapter 14, and you'll probably recall pretty quickly what's happening in this scene. In Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, there's this description of Jesus walking on the water and his reaction, or the reaction, that his disciples give to him in that particular moment. Immediately, it says in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14, that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And Peter had come down out of the boat, and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they witness this tremendous miracle that unfold in front of them, their conclusion is the exact right conclusion. Truly you are the Son of God. But I want to share with you tonight, how did they get there? And I want to walk this path a little while with Peter and examine his convictions, examine his weaknesses at times, examine how it is that we might talk about love motivating us to have faith in action. Because friends, active faith is the only real faith that brings us any benefit. James spends a lot of time talking about a dead faith and a living faith. 
He spends a lot of time trying to encourage us to realize that only an act of faith brings real benefit. Only one that actually does and pursues the things and purposes and will of God actually brings real benefit. And so tonight, let's look at the action that Peter was willing to take. When the disciples look out and see Jesus walking across the water, and by the way, I don't fault them. I'd think I was seeing a ghost too. <laughs> if I'm in a boat and I'm trying to make my way across this body of water and I look out and see this figure walking across on top of that water, I'm going to assume that's not a man. <laughs> that's not something that's ordinary. And so I don't fault them in some senses for believing that that was a ghost. Peter says, Lord, if it really is you, he said, be of good cheer, it is I. Peter's response to that, if it really be you, bid me come to thee. You want to talk about trust and faith? Peter says, listen, if that's really you, let me come out of this boat and walk right alongside of you. The interesting and very basic answer to that is found in verse 29. If you look back in the narrative, and Jesus basically said, come. Peter says, if it's you, let me walk on water with you. Let me come out of the boat and take a stroll along this water as well. And Jesus said, okay, come. Here's the question I have, now what? Right? If it's really you, let me come out of the boat and walk along with you. And Jesus said, all right, come on. That's my translation, but right? Come, come on out, okay? Come, let's see if you have faith. Have you ever said words that you didn't mean? Be careful. We all have. Those of us with children probably more often than we should. <laughs> Peter is in a dilemma, isn't he, in some ways? He makes the request, if it's really you, let me come out of the boat and walk with you. And Jesus just simply said, come on. And now Peter's got a choice to make. Either he can backtrack and say, no, 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 that's enough for me to believe. <laughs> or he can act upon his faith and get out of the boat. Now, for those who know me know that I'm not much of a water person. <laughs> I don't even want to be on the boat, let alone get out of the boat in the middle of the sea. <laughs> Deborah and I took a dolphin cruise one time down near Hilton Head. Our vessel that we thought we were riding looked so pristine and nice until we realized no we were getting on the boat on the other side of that boat <laughs> our boat was called the vagabond and it was every bit of it <laughs> I had no desire to be in that boat number one but I promise you this when we were starting to go over the wake I didn't want to get out of it either <laughs> Peter says if it's really you let me come Jesus says come Friends, I have a question for you tonight. How do you and I react when Jesus says, okay, I'll empower you to do that? You've asked me in faith, I'm going to grant you the courage and stamina and wherewithal to accomplish it. Now what? You see, sometimes I think we're willing to say the words, we're not willing to do the actions. We're willing to say the right things. We're willing to converse about the right kinds of topics and use the right words and, and pronounce things in the way that we should. But sometimes when it comes actually doing something about it, it's much different. Now abide faith. How much faith do I really have? Am I willing to take the words that I say, the requests that I make of God, and actually put them into use and make them functional and purposeful? Let me share a couple of texts with you tonight. Go to Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 8. And if you want to mark, I'm going to do the same and take that fancy little string there in your Bible and mark it into Matthew 14. We'll bounce back there. We'll go over into Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Let me talk to you for a few moments out of this text. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. It's a familiar text, right? He says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, we talked a lot this week about how much we should love others, friends. It is all based on the fact that God loves us first. And so when he says to me here, I will make you more than conquerors, the God who loves me can make me more than conqueror. Do you believe that? Now, don't, I'm not saying, do you believe the Bible says it? I'm asking us to think about, do I believe it enough to act upon it? Do I believe that God makes me a spiritual conqueror? That there is nothing, nothing that can shake my faith, take me away from the Lord but me. If I will act in faith and serve and honor God as he desires for me, I can be more than a conqueror. For I am persuaded, verse 38, that nothing... Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brother and friend, as Christians, let's quit living as victims. We're not victims, we're conquerors. We are people of faith who have the ability to overcome the challenges that this world presents to us. There is nothing, no principality, no angel, no anything that is stronger than the God who loves you. Put your faith and trust in that God. Put your faith and confidences in a God who says, I can make you stronger than you ever thought you could be. I can empower you in ways that you never thought imaginable. I can say to you, get out of the boat, let's walk on water. And he can allow us to do that. The Philippian writer, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not out of the reach of anybody sitting here. If I'm willing to come to God with a penitent heart, if I'm willing to come to my creator with a with an openness and a willingness to, to embrace the love that he has for me through his son, if I'm willing to repent and to turn and make the changes necessary in my life, this doesn't elude anybody who's willing to do that. I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can find the confidence necessary to fulfill the purposes that God has for each and every one of us. In verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you're there... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I'll give you a quick thought, by the way, on that. I, I make the argument, and I think it would be true, that it's obvious Paul didn't like the first answer to the first prayer. Right? Because the first answer to the first prayer was no. I'm not taking the thorn of flesh away. So Paul comes back a second time, asked for the same thing. The answer was no. He comes back the third time, asked for the same thing. But this time he recognizes that what he needs to appreciate, that though he has a thorn in the flesh, whatever that might have been, he's also had the grace of God carrying him through it as well. I can trust and have faith in a God who doesn't always answer my prayers exactly like I want him to. 
I can have faith and confidence and trust in a God who doesn't always say, sure, Brian, you can have that. Sure, Brian, you can have that. Sure, I'll do it that way. I have trust and faith in a God who says, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, fine. I love his attitude about it, right? Your grace is sufficient for me. I'd rather glory in my infirmities and still have the grace of God than to have my infirmities removed and lose the grace of God in the process. Friends, faith and trust in God doesn't mean God does exactly what we want Him to do every time we want Him to do it. Faith and trust in God means that sometimes we rely upon the fact that His grace and His mercy and His love is constant. And without diving in too much about a study of prayer, sometimes God sees things far, far ahead of what we can and knows better than we what we might need. So Jesus says, come. Peter's got to decide, what am I going to do? <laughs> and so he goes. Verse 24 of our text in Matthew chapter 14 simply said, as Jesus said, come and when... Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. I want you to think about that phrase for a minute. What I, what I love about Peter is here, he wanted to walk on water to be with the Lord. He didn't want to get out of the boat to walk on water to turn to the other disciples and say, hey guys, look at me. I'm walking on water. I'm better than you are. Right? That's not his disposition at all. He's not about personal. This isn't about Peter trying to show up the other disciples. This isn't about Peter trying to say, I'm the greatest of all. This is Peter wanting to be with his Savior. I believe it's you. I believe if you can walk on water, I can walk on water. Let me come out of this boat. Come on, Jesus says. And Peter gets out and begins to walk on water to go to Jesus. Friends, when we pray in faith and, and we want God to move mountains and we want Him to let us to have the courage to walk on the waters of our life and we want Him to sustain us, be sure that we're walking in the direction of the Savior. It's not about me getting out of the boat so I can be empowered to do whatever I want. That's kind of Simon the sorcerer, right? Remember Simon the sorcerer witnessed all that power and he wants the ability to bestow spiritual gifts unto others for his own personal gain? You son of perdition, that's not for you, he said. Friends, when we want to walk with Jesus and we want to live by faith, it needs to be for the right reasons. It's to go to be with the Savior. It's to walk on that water hand in hand with the one who empowered me to do that to begin with, who's been offering me the grace and sustenance that I need. Let me walk on water to be with you. And so he begins the process. But he runs into a challenge. Verse 30 said, When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, Save me. I heard one preacher, can't tell you who it was, the art of originality is forgetting where you got it. But anyway, think about that. That's free, Andy, by the way. You can use it anytime you want. But he used this illustration. He said, if you can imagine the, the wind moving the waves, and if you're walking on water at, at water level, and the waves are moving, 
there could be times where your focus on Jesus would be easier than harder than easier than harder, right? And so the winds are moving the waves around, things are boisterous, things aren't as calm. You know, this wasn't just, you know, this wasn't big fish creek like I got back home where it's barely six inches deep, right? You know, this is a sea that's got winds that are moving the waves and you can kind of get this imagery of Jesus and Peter kind of up and down, up and down. Friends, that, that's a great illustration of sometimes in our walk of faith, our ability to focus on Jesus is going to be more challenged in some moments than others. Life comes at us fast sometimes. And the clarity that we're hoping for and longing for, the, the, the ability to see clearly where Jesus is in proportion and relationship to me, isn't always easily done. Sometimes it is. Sometimes Jesus is very easily seen. Life is calm, things are well. There's not a lot of turmoil going on in my life, and so it's very easy to see. But as the waves come into life, faith can begin to waver. Now, let's not be hypercritical here, by the way, of Peter, because he got afraid. I already told you about the fact you'd be lucky to get me in the boat, and you certainly would be almost impossible to get me out of the boat on the water. You didn't hear any of the other disciples saying, Lord, if it really is you, bid me come to come out there with Peter. They're all in the boat watching to see what happens. And so I'm simply saying to you, don't, over, don't, don't be overly critical here of Peter. Now Jesus is going to have some things to say to him in a minute, but don't be overly critical. The waves come and the fear sets in. And he begins to sink. But here's the beauty of that moment. As inevitably for all of us, there are going to be moments in our walks of faith where we begin to sink, where things aren't as solid as we'd like them to be, where we're not as strong as we once were, and we're struggling. It's going to happen. I don't tell you that in a permissive way. I just tell you that from a factual way. It's going to happen. But right there's the right answer. What did Peter do? Peter says, Lord, save me. As he began to sink, he knew the one source that could pull him out of that situation. He knew the one place to turn. He didn't grapple back for the boat. He didn't yell at the disciples, hey, make a human chain and get me out of here. He looked at the only source that could save him, and he yells out before the Lord, save me. Provide for me salvation in this moment. And I ask you a very basic thought here. Imagine if he had been walking away from Jesus rather than towards him. How easy would it have been just to sink to the bottom? If he had just decided, well, Jesus empowered me to walk on water, I'll just walk wherever I want to go. And I gets out of the boat and he just takes a stroll away from the No, he got out and he walked towards Jesus and that was the very reason why when he began to sink because he was afraid he had the ability to say Lord save me and Jesus could reach out friends my encouragement to you is simply this and to me as well is that our walks of faith need to stay as close to the Savior at all times Because the further away from the Savior I get, the harder it is, number one, to even recognize that I should be calling out upon Him and even more difficult for me to get my hand out to Him.
that he could grab me. The imagery here to me is powerful. That Peter, yes, had a moment of weakness. Yes, Peter was great courage, came out of the boat. Moment of weakness and doubtful faith that causes him to sink. But close enough to the Savior to find refuge. Our walks of faith, our lives as Christians, what I simply would call is simplified by simple course correction. Drastic change is hard, right? Drastic, it's not impossible. Okay, I want you to understand it. It's not impossible. I've seen folks who have drastic things they need to turn from in their lives and have found the Lord and have found salvation and have turned from some very challenging sinful practices. It absolutely can happen and has happened and will continue to happen as long as this earth stands. But it's a lot easier to make those changes if I'm close to the Savior and I'm making them subtly every time I need to. Rather than waiting to sink to the bottom of the sea and then hope that Jesus can drag me up from the bottom. Right? Do I have enough faith to get out of the boat? And do I have enough faith when my faith is shaken and struggling and challenged to reach out to the only source that can save me? But let me suggest to you something else as well as it relates to this topic. And that is sometimes fear can hold us captive. Fear can hold our faith prisoner to doing greater and bigger things than we ever thought possible within ourselves. We are weak and human. And so within ourselves there isn't greatness. But with Jesus there is great empowerment. In Matthew 25, 25, that parable of the talents, right? And in that description of the one talent man there in verse 25, he says this, that the, the, when he comes home and he just gives, him, gives the master back his talent, and he asks him why. why? You, could, you could at least got me some, in, you know, some interest. You could get on something with it. And the response of the servant was this, I was afraid. And when it hid your talent in the ground, look, there you have what is yours. Active faith wants to improve and get better. Active faith wants to, wants to take the talents and the, the abilities and the things that God blesses us with and, and, and do better with it, to grow within it. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we never grow in our faith because we're so... We're so in tune with making a mistake. We're so in tune with being afraid of stepping out of line or doing something wrong or, or not behaving in the right way. And we're so consumed with not doing anything wrong that we never do anything right either. A preacher I worked with back in Nashville, Tennessee, seems like forever ago, and I guess in some ways it was. It was like 1991-ish, 90. I'm an old man now, Keith. <laughs> So aren't you, by the way, but anyway. <laughs> but I remember Joel Plunkett was his name, and I, I, and I can remember his sermon he preached, and he had a brick. And, he, and this is before PowerPoint, right? We can do fancy stuff now. But he just took a plain old brick, and he set it on the pulpit. And he went through that sermon, and he talked about all kinds of things that... that people don't do in their faith and, and then he would just say well neither did that brick 
It's just sitting there like many of us are just sitting here. Do not let the fear of failure keep us from striving to use the conquering faith God has given us. Now, yes, we need to honor authority. Yes, we need to know what the scriptures teach about how it is we should behave and function and purpose. Subjects for another time, right? What I'm challenging us to appreciate tonight is simply there are a lot of one-talent folks sitting around and they're scared to death to do something wrong that they never do anything. Get out of the boat. Let's all get out of the boat. Sure, it's comfortable, right? It's comfy. I don't have to do anything. There's no challenge. I don't have to ask myself any questions. I don't have to deal with anything. It's just simple. But it's not faith building. One talent man never would get out of the boat. He just simply would not motivate himself to do anything. So then Jesus asked the question, right, of Peter, why'd you doubt? What happened? Did, wasn't there enough trust here? What, what, what was the issue? You see, friends, what has been proven should, should remove all doubt. They'd already witnessed Jesus' power. Walking on water was nothing. There's nothing to him. What, what is it that's causing us to doubt? Why are we questioning it? Do you believe this book is true or not? Right? It's a foundational principle, but if you believe this book is true, you believe it's the word of God, you believe this book we call the Bible, these, these 66 uh, accounts and records, if you believe they are inspired word of God, then let's start trusting it. Living by it. Jesus says to Peter, you didn't have any reason to doubt. You had all the evidence you needed. Go back to Mark chapter 6. Or over to maybe I should say Mark chapter 6. Back in history, over in your Bibles. Mark chapter 6 verse 51. I want you to notice another account of this same scene. Same history, I should have said earlier. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. And here's the portion that, that Matthew doesn't record. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now it's interesting. Matthew spends a lot of time talking about what Peter did, and so that's kind of his focus in this narrative. This account, Mark's record of this same event, kind of cuts to the chase, but he also adds an element to us to help us appreciate that he said the reason why there was doubts going on, while there, why there was marveling going on among those in the boat, was they had already forgotten about the loaves and fish. They'd already forgotten about the power of Jesus. You know, some, some say, well, if Jesus would walk in this room tonight and perform a miracle, I would believe. I'm not, I'm not judging you if you're thinking that. But I'm simply going to illustrate to you there were a whole host of folks in this book who had every opportunity to witness a miracle and didn't believe. There were lots of folks who witnessed Thousands of people fed with nothing. Really? 
who didn't let it build any conviction and faith and belief in their hearts. Friends, tonight, will our faith get us out of the boat or not? Let's get out of the boat and start walking on water. Let's, let's stop, stop talking about faith and start living by faith. So, so that we can then have the hope. There's that third element that we need to talk about before we're done in our series. It's that act of faith, that same faith that Peter had, removing all the doubts, more than conquerors. God strengthens us. All of those things come to meaning when we activate our faith, and now I'm living by hope in the promises of God. Because I get up every morning and I trust Him. I get up every morning and I act upon my belief and faith in Him. I get up every day and I live by the very standard by which God has provided for me. Romans 5, if you're there. Romans 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Quick thought, you can't be justified by your works because your works won't amount to it. You can't be perfect, nor can I. So justification can't come by perfect law-keeping because we're all going to sin, we're all going to transgress, so we were in need of something else. God provides Jesus, and our faith and convictions in Him allows for God to view us as justified in His sight. It's our faith that allows that. Not our perfection. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Why is my faith so important? It's because it's that act of faith that leads me to justification. Why is that so important? It's important because it's what provides me the daily hope I need that sustains me. And while I wait upon the return of the, of the Son, while I, I wait upon the plans and purposes of God to ultimately be fulfilled, I have hope in the glory of God. And not only that, verse 3, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. I endure the challenges I face life with faith and confidence as a conqueror in Jesus Christ. And then I experience the hope of the promises of God. And knowing that there's no tribulation or trial that can overcome that hope when I'm actively pursuing my faith. Now, hope does not disappoint. I've disappointed hope, but hope has never disappointed me. There have been times where I've let go of that hope. There have been times where I've relinquished that hope, and I've disappointed that hope, but it's never disappointed me when I've anchored myself in it because the love of God, there's been our topic all week. Because the love of God. A God who loves us in ways we don't deserve has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, as we learned this week. 
May I suggest to you that love is empty without faith and hope in the Creator. Love doesn't have its perfect work without faith and hope in the one that has brought us, has brought us here. You've listened so well throughout the week. I, let me share something with you as we close this evening. I... Uh, Almost exactly three years ago. It's the first Sunday of March, 2019. I began my Bible study as I had hundreds of Sundays before. That particular Sunday was different. Something happened to me in the middle of the study. I, by the way, doctors still don't know what it was. <laughs> But I had an overwhelming feeling something's going on with me, and I didn't know what it was. I stopped the class. It's probably scaring all kinds of shut-ins that were watching live at home. <laughs> and I said, somebody, could you go down and grab Deborah from the Bible classes? I said, I, I think I need to go get checked. So we left and went up to the emergency room, and they found a couple of things, but nothing really that they thought was causing the this thought that I was dying. 24 hours later in the middle of the night, it's about 2 in the morning, same thing. Didn't know whether I was having a heart attack, didn't know what it was. Woke Deborah up, said, I'm going to have to go get checked again. I, I, I got no idea what's going on with me. On our way up to the hospital at it happened to us tonight on our way here tonight too, but there's a railroad track that crosses the main uh, route that runs north and south through our area. And that night, of course, train across the tracks. I thought for sure I was going to die in the car waiting for that train to clear. And I tell you all that because ultimately, here's what they told me. Ultimately, this felt like I was stressed. They felt like it was either panic attacks or fatigue or stress or whatever. It's when they found my diabetes, and I got that now under control, and blood pressure was high. That's all controlled. Lost a lot of weight and, and got some meds. But those things were rectified pretty quickly. But I went for about a month or two and would just have to mentally say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And one day, Deborah looks at me when I'm saying, I, I, I think I'm going to die. And she said this, trust me, she said this with every ounce of love that she could, and she did, wasn't joking. She looked at me and she said, are you ready to die or not, preacher? Wow. I've been telling all you folks for a long time, you need to be ready, you need to be ready, you need to be ready. And there I was thinking I was going to die and all worried about it and anxious about it. Are you ready to die or not, preacher? She's changed my life for the better in so many ways I can't even count them. I don't know that I've had an episode since. because she woke my faith up and reminded me it's not just words from a pulpit but it's a life that needs to be lived as well 
Friends, we all get there. Those of us who have been at this for a long, long time, it's real easy, isn't it? It's kind of easy just to kind of get stuck in that rut and just kind of feel like we're going through the motions and we're just kind of doing what we're supposed to do. But I'm asking you tonight, will you live by faith? Live by faith. I want to go to heaven. I want all of you there. I don't know what every aspect of that will be like. I don't, I don't know. I know what the Bible reveals and I can understand that to the best of my ability. I'm sure there are facets of that that I, my finite mind can't grasp. But at the end of the day, I want to go to heaven. And I want as many as people as I can encourage to go there as well. And so I'm just asking you tonight, will you live by faith? And if you've never stepped out on that faith initially, said, Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. I have confidence in you. I confess that you are absolutely the Lord. I'm willing to die with Christ through baptism. I'm willing to make those repentant changes in my life. I'm willing to find remission of sins and cleansing power. And I'm going to live by faith. And when I stumble and fall, when I make mistakes, when I, when I do things that are outside of your will, I'm going to change them and I'm going to make corrections every step of the way. I'm going to avoid the doubts that lead me away from you. I want to walk towards the Savior every day. And when I sink, I'm going to say, Lord, save me. I want an act of faith that leads me home. And if we can encourage or pray for you in the same tonight, we'd invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.